Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. A new white supremacist terror attack targets Jews in San Diego. The New York Times reveals its full anti-Semitic bias and the media rush to defend Ilhan Omar. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. All right, we got a lot to get to today. None of it particularly happy news, unfortunately. It was a, a pretty brutal weekend for the country. We'll get to all that in just a second. First, in 2008, the U.S. national debt was $10 trillion. Today, the debt is nearly $22 trillion. It is rising like a hockey stick. If you do not think that we are sitting on a house of cards, you're living with your head in the sand. But since you're listening to my podcast, you are smarter than the average bear. So what is your plan? Can you afford another hit to your retirement like the last downturn when the S&P dropped 50%? It's worthwhile to hedge at least a little bit against inflation and uncertainty and instability with precious metals. Gold is a safe haven against uncertainty. My savings plan is diversified. Yours should be as well. The company I trust with precious metal purchases is Birch Gold Group. And right now, thanks to a little-known IRS tax law, you can even move that IRA or eligible 401k into an IRA backed by physical gold and silver, which is perfect for people who may want to protect their hard-earned retirement savings from any future geopolitical uncertainty. Look back historically, when the bottom falls out of everything else, gold does tend to safeguard savings. Birch Gold Group has thousands of satisfied customers, countless five-star reviews, and A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Contact Birch Gold Group right now. Get a free information kit on physical precious metals. See if diversifying into gold and silver makes sense for you. This comprehensive 16-page kit reveals how gold and silver can protect your savings. To get that no-cost, no-obligation kit, text BEN to 474747. That is BEN to 474747. Again, text BEN to 474747. So over the weekend on Shabbat, on Saturday, it was the last day of Passover. And on the last day of Passover, a white supremacist gunman entered a shul, entered a synagogue, a Chabad in Poway, which is about 45 minutes north of San Diego. I know that it's close to San Diego because I was actually staying in San Diego for the holiday, so I was relatively close to this happening. The gunman entered the synagogue on Saturday. He was yelling anti-Semitic slurs, and then he opened fire with an AR-15-style gun, says the New York Times. We still don't know whether it was an actual AR-15 or if it was merely uh, a semi-automatic rifle. He apparently paused when the rabbi of the congregation tried to talk to him, but then he fired again, and he shot the rabbi in the hand twice, apparently. He shot him in both hands. The rabbi has lost one of his finger. His attack left a 60-year-old woman dead. The rabbi wounded a 34-year-old man and a girl with shrapnel wounds. This was, of course, the last day, as I mentioned, of Passover. This was obviously a hate crime. The gunman was identified as a 19-year-old resident of San Diego. He did leave another one of these terrible manifestos. As I say, I'm not going to mention the name of the shooter on the show because I don't mention the name of mass shooters on shows because I don't want to give them publicity. Nor am I going to read his manifesto on air. Suffice it to say, it is a typical white supremacist screed about the replacement of European peoples by Jews. It, it also suggests that it suggests hatred of President Trump. I mean, there is there's a good deal in there about how President Trump, at least several lines in there, about how President Trump is a pawn of the Jews, a tool of the Jews. Apparently, this this manifesto was posted early on 8chan. 8chan is the even more neo-Nazi anti-Semitic version of 4chan. 4chan is sort of a lot of trolls, some of whom have alt-right ties. 8chan is like the worst of the worst. And 
this and his manifesto sounds a lot like the other manifesto from the guy in Christchurch, the, the piece of crap in Christchurch, New Zealand, who shot up the mosque. President Trump offered his sympathies from Washington. He said, our entire nation mourns the loss of life, prays for the wounded, stands in solidarity with the Jewish community. We forcefully condemn the evil of anti-Semitism and hate, which must be defeated. Here was President Trump responding to the attack in Poway. Our entire nation mourns the loss of life, prays for the wounded, and stands in solidarity with the Jewish community. We forcefully condemn the evil of anti-Semitism and hate, which must be defeated. Just happened. Must be defeated. And President Trump has spoken out routinely against anti-Semitism. For for all of the talk about President Trump going soft on the alt-right at Charlottesville, some of which I think is true. His initial statement, for example, he did not condemn white supremacy or the alt-right at Charlottesville. And then in his follow-up statement, he condemned neo-Nazism. He condemned white supremacy by name. But he also suggested that there were people at the white supremacist march who were good people, very fine people on both sides. That was the controversy over that statement. You know, his, his entire remarks for the record on that, and this will become relevant when we discuss in a second, the ramifications of this attack and the left's attacks on Trump. You know, President Trump's full statements when it came to the, the Charlottesville situation, which has been become sort of the point of the spear for the attacks by the left on President Trump when it comes to anti-Semitic attacks. President Trump said, all of those people, I've condemned neo-Nazis. I've condemned many different groups. Not all of those people were neo-Nazis, believe me. Not all of those people were white supremacists by any stretch. Those people were also there because they wanted to protest the taking down of a statue, Robert E. Lee. He said, I think there's blame on both sides. You look at both sides. I think there's blame uh, objectively on both sides. I have no doubt about it. You don't have to doubt about it either. If you reported it accurately, you would say that the neo-Nazis started this thing. They showed up in Charlottesville. Excuse me. They didn't put themselves down as neo-Nazis. You had some very bad people in that group. You also had some very fine people on both sides. You had people in that group. Excuse me. Excuse me. I saw the same pictures as you did. You had people in that group that were there to protest the taking down of, to them, a very, very important statue and the renaming of a park from Robert E. Lee to another name. And then he continued by saying, you had people, and I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists. They should be condemned totally. You had many people in that group other than neo-Nazis and white nationalists. The press has treated them absolutely unfairly. Now, in the other group, you also had some fine people, but you had troublemakers, and you see them come with the black outfits and the helmets and the baseball bats. You had a lot of bad people in the other group, too. So to give the full context of what President Trump was saying, he did, in fact, condemn neo-Nazism. He did, in fact, condemn white nationalism. He also sort of made up this other group of people who were there at the protest who were very fine people. And that's why people said he was being soft on the alt-right because the only people there were alt-righters. In any case, President Trump, every time there's been an anti-Semitic attack, has condemned it by name. He has condemned it by name. Now, the rabbi at this, at this congregation is Rabbi Amin Yisrael Goldstein. For people who don't know the Chabad movement, the Chabad movement, which is, Chabad is an acronym for Chachma, Bina, and Da'as, all of which are aspects of knowing God. Chachma is wisdom, Bina is understanding, and Da'as is knowledge. So, Chabad movement is, is a very spiritual movement. Uh, it was driven by the Lubavitcher Rebbe for many years. They, uh, the, the Chabad movement is well known for going to basically random places all over the world to provide outreach to Jews who are in those parts of the world. It is the most front-facing part of Jewish orthodoxy. Uh, I have a lot of friends in the Chabad movement. I know many of the rabbis in the Chabad movement, most of the top people in the Chabad movement. Uh, every place I go, Chabad is there. You know, I used to joke that if, if, people, if Jews were to land on the moon, then Chabad would already be there. I mean, Chabad is, is everywhere, and they are very front-facing. They are extraordinarily welcoming. Uh, they do a great job of bringing in diverse groups of people. 
the fact that they are very good at doing outreach and bringing in diverse groups of people might be why more people are alive today as opposed to dead in Poway. Here's Rabbi Yisrael Goldstein speaking from the hospital about what happened. Shalom, Rabbi Yisrael Goldstein here from Chabad Poway. It's not even 24 hours since the unthinkable, unfathomable terrorist attack occurred at Chabad Poway. I'm encouraging and I'm pleading with every single Jew that sees this appeal this weekend, go to your own prospective synagogues, fill up the ballrooms, fill up the sanctuaries, let them see that nothing will take us down and we all need to stand together, hold hands together, love each other, just like the Rebbe taught us, unconditional love, that a little bit of light pushes away darkness. Okay, and this guy has to be shot by this anti-Semite. And, and he was not the person who was killed. The person, obviously, who was killed was a 60-year-old woman who apparently was shot pretty much straight away. Uh, there, were, there were reports also that she had pushed herself in front of the rabbis, that the rabbi would not be shot. Those, at this point, I believe, are, are more rumor than confirmed. In any case, here is Yisrael Goldstein speaking further from the Poway Chabad the day after the shooting. And you can see his hands are bandaged because he lost a finger in this attack. Yesterday, this horrific, terrible event that has occurred here, in my own interpretation, Lori took the bullet for all of us. She died to protect all of us. She didn't deserve to die. She's such a kind, sweet-hearted, just a good human being. She didn't deserve to die right in front of my eyes. I was the last one to see her and to be with her. But I do know that this is Lori. This is her legacy, and her legacy will continue. Okay, so it is also worth noting here that attendance at the synagogue was slightly larger than usual because of the holiday. Many of the older congregants were there because of Yizkor. Yizkor is a memorial prayer that, that Jews do on the last day of Passover, and so a lot of the older congregants were there specifically to say Yizkor for relatives who had passed away. One of the people who was there was a guy named Oscar Stewart. Oscar Stewart is a, is a Border Patrol agent who has recently rediscovered his Jewish roots, this is what Chabad is great for, and he had spent three and a half hours, apparently every Saturday, driving all the way to Poway from the border so that he could pray at the synagogue. And apparently when he heard the shots ring out, his training from his years in the military kicked in. He said, I yelled as loud as I could in my mean sergeant voice. I yelled, get down, and then I ran toward him. He said that the gunman then fled because he was a coward. And, there, and meanwhile, there were, there were, the rabbi ran into a room where a bunch of kids were stationed, and he told everybody to get out. One of the people who picked up, there were, there were a bunch of people there. One of the people who was there was a 34-year-old Israeli who was actually coming from Sterot. Sterot is the town in Israel that has been under significant rocket fire from Hamas. So he moved from anti-Semitic attacks in Israel from Hamas to anti-Semitic attacks in Poway from a white supremacist. He picked up his niece and he started to run. He was wounded. His eight-year-old niece was wounded as well. So here is the eight-year-old niece explaining what exactly happened. So you got hit with shrapnel? Yeah. Little pieces? No, like me one is pretty big, but these ones are little pieces. So you look, so this was like a pretty big piece, and then it went back here. So the piece of shrapnel went in your leg and then came out the other side? Yeah. What were you thinking then? Did it hurt? Um... In the first place, when there was like gushing blood, I didn't even feel it. And then after, like they wiped it, and then like the blood was off, and it was like it—it it felt like I had the giantest bruise ever. Okay, this would be eight-year-old Noya Dahan, and her uncle is Almog Peretz, who is the guy who who picked her up and ran with her. In a second, I'm going to explain why it was deeply important that this border patrol agent 
was there and why, once again, a good guy with a gun is the only person who is capable of stopping a bad guy with a gun when something like this happens. First, after a childhood full of unsuccessful attempts to pull the wool over mom's eyes, do you really think she won't be able to tell the difference between a last-minute Mother's Day gift and something truly thoughtful? This Mother's Day, don't settle for anything less than the biggest and brightest bouquets from 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, 1-800-Flowers has great deals for mom, like 24 assorted roses for 24 bucks. It's only a buck per rose. So, over the last week, my wife actually passed her boards, as she is done with her boards now. And so I was, as I mentioned, in San Diego, and I used 1-800-Flowers to have flowers delivered to her. That's how great 1-800-Flowers is. They did it at a moment's notice. It's really fantastic. All of their flowers are just beautiful. With a bright and beautiful mix of orange, yellow, and pink blooms, these assorted roses are guaranteed to make your mom smile or your wife smile or anybody else smile. Assorted roses are the perfect way to surprise all of the moms in your life, wife, sister, grandma. Roses from 1-800-Flowers are picked at their peak from Premier Farms. They're shipped overnight to ensure freshness. 24 assorted roses for 24 bucks. It's an amazing offer, but you have to hurry because it expires on Friday. Trust 1-800-Flowers to make mom feel loved this Mother's Day. Order today from 1-800-Flowers.com. Again, to order those 24 stunning assorted roses for 24 bucks, go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash Shapiro. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash Shapiro. Order today. Save at 1-800-Flowers.com slash Shapiro. The offer expires on Friday. Okay, so the guy who was the off-duty police officer, off-duty U.S. Customs and Border Patrol agent, was named Jonathan Morales. He was among the worshipers, and he had been asked by the rabbi to bring his gun to services because Jews all across the United States are understanding that there is a significant threat. In my synagogue, there are many armed people at my synagogue. We have security guards at my synagogue. This is true for every synagogue in my area. That's because Jews across the country understand that there is a threat of terror, both from radical Muslims and from white supremacists as well. Well, this, this particular, the, the rabbi said that Morales recently re- rediscovered his Jewish roots. He would travel three and a half hours from El Centro to pray with us at our shul. He felt this was his house of worship. And many times I said, Jonathan, you work for the Border Patrol. Please arm yourself when you are here. We never know when we'll need it. Well, this would have been the time that they needed it. And thank God that the guy was there. And thank God that he was armed. Because he was there, because he was armed, the shooter's gun jammed. And then the combat veteran who came charging, and then there, there were two combat veterans, I guess. There's one named Oscar Stewart who was charging at him and yelling at him. He said, get down. And then he said, you MFR, I'm going to kill you. And he started, he just, he didn't, this is not the guy who had the gun, apparently. He was an Iraq combat veteran and he just ran directly at the guy without a gun. He said, I knew I had to be within five feet of this guy so his rifle couldn't get to me. I ran immediately toward him. I yelled as loud as I could. He was scared. I scared the hell out of him. Also, there was another guy, a Border Patrol agent named Jonathan Morales, and Jonathan Morales had a gun. So thank God, combat veteran, thank God for our combat veterans, and thank God also for people who are armed in places of worship. So that's, you know, it, uh, when, when people say it's time to disarm civilians as though that's going to protect other civilians, it, it's foolishness. Now, in a second, I'll explain what exactly has been happening on places like 8chan. So 8chan is the, is the place where these shooters have basically been congregating. We're seeing an increase in the number of these attacks. One of the reasons we're seeing that increase is because it used to be that the world's worst human beings were located in sort of disparate areas of the country with no people cheering them on. These online forums, these online fora, they create an echo chamber where people feel like they're playing to a crowd of people who will be cheering for them, Robert Evans has a piece over at bellingcat.com talking about 8chan, and it is worthwhile discussing it for just a second. He says, on April 20, 27th, 
2019, at around 11.30 a.m. local time, a young man with a semi-automatic rifle walked into the Chabad of Poway Synagogue in Poway, California. He opened fire, killing one worshiper, wounding three others. In the hours since the shooting, a manifesto believed to be written by that shooter began circulating online. Evidence has also surfaced that like the Christchurch mosque shooter, this killer began his rampage with a post on 8chan's politics board. Although both of these attacks may seem different, since they targeted worshippers of different faiths, both shooters were united by the same fascist ideology. They were also radicalized in the same place, 8chan's politics board. This has been corroborated by posts on the board itself, where Anons, as the posters call themselves, to be anonymous posters, recirculated the shooter's since-deleted post. In it, the alleged shooter claims to have been lurking on the site for a year and a half. He includes a, live, a link to a live stream of his rampage, which thankfully does not appear to have worked. He also included a pastebin link to his manifesto. The very first response to his announcement was another anonymous person cheering him on and telling him to get the high score, a.k.a. kill a huge number of people. This shooter's manifesto is also filled with bleep posting, which are Internet in-jokes meant to distract authorities in the media and make 8chan's politics board seem less threatening and more jokey. The fact that this is the second politics board-related shooting in the House of Worship in slightly more than a month should be enough to explain that this is false. 8chan apparently is a large website, includes a number of different discussion boards about everything from anime to left-wing politics. Politics is one particularly active board on the website. It is best described as a gathering place for extremely online neo-Nazis. The overarching goal of politics held by most of its members is to radicalize their fellow Anons to real-life effort posting, i.e. acts of violence in the physical world. This goal is well embodied by a post I found in a discussion of the Poway Synagogue shooting, in which there's a picture of a person kind of walking around looking like a doofus before politics and after politics board, there is a, there's a picture of a shooter in black gear with a rifle. This writer says, I've browsed the politics board on an almost daily basis since the Christchurch shooting. It has not been difficult to find calls for violence. On Monday, March 15th, March 25th of this year, I ran across evidence of Anons translating the Christchurch shooter's manifesto into other languages in an attempt to inspire more shootings across the globe. The tactic can work. Today's shooting is proof. The Poway Synagogue shooter directly cited the Christchurch shooter as his inspiration, saying he decided to carry out his attack roughly two weeks after that shooting. Many of the Anons referred to the Christchurch shooter as a saint, complete with medieval-inspired iconography. As I say, there's no way to shut down free speech, but if the authorities are not monitoring 8chan for this sort of stuff, I don't know what the hell they're doing. People in the know have known this stuff for, for long before Christchurch happened. I was being harassed by people on 4chan and 8chan for, for years before any of this stuff happened, obviously. It's one of the reasons I have full-time security. The fact that these, the, the fact that people have only begun to pick up on this now is, is obviously quite disturbing. It's also true that the internet can be a place where the worst of us congregate. The internet can be a great place for spreading of information. It can be a wonderful place for spreading of charitable do-gooderism. It can be a, a wonderful place for exchange of ideas and for prevention of monopolies on ideas. But it can also be a place where Terrible, terrible people can find other like-minded, terrible, terrible people to cheer them on when they do these awful things. So it's worth noting that there are these places online where these folks congregate and these folks, sometimes their evil speech turns into evil action. Now, as I say, that does not mean that you can, in any good conscience, shut down free speech in the United States to stop this sort of stuff. But you certainly have to have the authorities aware when people are making violent threats and violent imprecations. There are people on our staff who in the last several months have been targeted. So I'm, I'm very well aware of all of this. I've been aware of this for years, and I think that the police are, are, are and should be aware of this on an increasing basis. Meanwhile, the media reacted to the Poway synagogue shooting by blaming President Trump, as you knew they would. Uh, it is really horrific and awful that they would do so. 
It is horrific and awful for a couple of reasons. First of all, President Trump has been quite strong on anti-Semitism. He has. All of his statements on anti-Semitism have been far more blunt and far more purposeful than anything Democrats have been saying about anti-Semitism for years. That's because Democrats have been protecting anti-Semites inside their own party. Republicans have not. Now, President Trump, as I criticized him for at the time, was terrible with regard to the alt-right in 2015, 2016. Go back and listen to my episodes after Charlottesville. Go back and listen to my episodes during the 2016 election cycle. He winked and nodded at people he thought was being nice to him, were being nice to him. And that was a terrible, terrible thing to do. But when it comes to anti-Semitism, President Trump has spoken out repeatedly against anti-Semitism. I guarantee you that everyone, virtually everyone who was in the show that was just shot up was a President Trump voter. This is an Orthodox community. I guarantee you that everyone in that show, Chabad, Chabad tends to be extremely pro-Trump. Okay, that, so the idea that Trump is responsible for this, especially because in the manifesto itself, this person explicitly derides Trump as a tool of the Jews. Trump is not behind this. Now, Trump may have contributed to the alt-right gaining increased credibility in 2015, 2016, maybe into early 2017. That has not held true since then. That was bad. That has not held true since then. So to blame President Trump for all of this is just absurdism of the highest order. And yet what you have seen is the media doing exactly that. Here's a CNN panel saying they didn't believe President Trump when President Trump condemns anti-Semitism, even despite the fact that President Trump has Jewish grandchildren, despite the fact that President Trump is the most pro-Israel president in the history of the United States, despite the fact that President Trump has forcefully spoken out against anti-Semitism repeatedly and condemned it from other people. Still, the media pretend that President Trump is responsible for this. Here's a CNN panel saying they don't believe Trump. On one hand, you want to give the president his due. But when you consider the language that we have been discussing over the last couple of days, especially with Joe Biden getting getting into the race, what the president has said, making excuses, revisionist history about what happened in Charlottesville and on and on, one has to wonder as a thinking, rational person, if he means those words and if they ring hollow to Americans who have been looking for him to say those things and stay the course, as Angela has said, instead of trafficking in bigotry and racism and anti-Semitism and hate and making excuses for us. Okay, so again, this is the media overreading and overreading for a particular political purpose. In a second, I will show you how they've been doing this routinely. And then I will get to the media themselves and who exactly is promoting anti-Semitism throughout the United States. If you're not going to call it out everywhere, then you shouldn't be, then you can't be trusted to call it out anywhere. Okay, we'll get to that in just a second. First, vitamins and supplements can be kind of confusing. Persona takes the guesswork out of it. One of our employees here at The Daily Wire, Jared, he takes Persona vitamins in the morning and in the evening. He filled out their online assessment. He indicated he wanted the vegetarian formula. Some of the personalized supplements in his order include green tea extract for energy support, digestive enzymes as part of the happy gut formula. The packaging it comes in is sleek, simple, and innovative. There are separate packs for each morning and each evening, so you know exactly what you need to take each and every day. Here's how you can get started. Take a three to five minute assessment and find out exactly what you need. And then you get recommendations based on your goals, lifestyle, allergies, special diets, and prescription meds. Convenient vitamin packets are delivered to your door each month. Persona only uses the highest form of ingredients that are easiest for the body to absorb, including Culturel, the number one pharmacist-recommended probiotic. Ingredients are tested when they arrive at the manufacturer. They are tested again before they are shipped. 
to make sure they contain the right amount of ingredients. You can certainly find cheaper vitamins, but you'd have to pay 30% more to get the same quality in a bottled vitamin. Persona checks for over 850 medications against their database of supplements. They recommend to ensure no negative interaction. Persona offers over 90 different supplements, which creates 5 trillion possible combinations to personalize your recommendation specifically for you. Someone on my team uses Persona. Jared loves it. You will too. Right now, whether you want to sleep better, have more energy, or simply stay as young as you can, my listeners can go to personanutrition.com slash Ben. That's P-E-R-S-O-N-A nutrition.com slash Shapiro and get 50% off your order today. That's personanutrition.com slash Shapiro. It's five minutes that can change your health right now. Personanutrition.com slash Shapiro really takes just a second and you can make your health a lot better. Go check it out right now. So the media's response to Poway is naturally to do two things, blame Trump and blame guns. Shocker. They're always going to blame guns, even though a gun probably stops this attack from being significantly worse. And they're going to blame Trump because it fits in with their general thesis, which is that all hatred can be relegated to one side of the political aisle. It can all be relegated to President Trump. That is a politically convenient answer that is obviously not correct. Hey, President Trump is not an anti-Semite. The best thing you can say about President Trump if you're on the left, the most damaging thing you can say about President Trump if you're on the left is that President Trump winked and nodded at the alt-right in 2015, 2016, 2017. That was really bad. Again, I was there condemning it. That is not what happened here. What happened here is that the, this shooter and white supremacists everywhere are more likely to believe that President Trump is a tool of the Jews, that he is too philo-Semitic, rather than that he is cheering on their anti-Semitism. And yet the media are trotting out this lie that Trump is somehow responsible for the Poway Synagogue shooting, despite the fact that nobody at Poway Synagogue, nobody in the Orthodox community actually thinks this. Here is Joe Scarborough mouthing these words. We are so far beyond dog whistles here, Donald. We are so far beyond dog whistles. The blood, the blood that is spilled is on your hands from white nationalists, from people that listen to that sort of rhetoric, any violence to journalists, enemy of the people. You are just inciting violence. It's just, it's just obvious you are unfit to be president of the United States. Okay, so he's going to need to cite what exactly Trump did that was responsible for this shooting. They keep saying things like Trump is inciting violence. So according to Joe Scarborough, Trump incited violence with what exactly? With what exactly? Like, what did he do to incite violence? Again, I condemned all of his comments surrounding Charlottesville with regard to the KKK in 2016. And with regard to Steve, B like, I, I condemned all that stuff. I continue to condemn all that stuff. Trump hasn't done that stuff, at least in the last couple of years. And he has been extraordinarily philosemitic in both practice and policy. So what exactly is Joe Scarborough talking about? And yet the media continue to trot this stuff out, not just the media, members of the Democratic Party. So you see, for example, Walid Shahid, who is an advisor to Bernie Sanders and who happens to be a member of the Justice Democrats blaming Trump for all of this, despite the fact that, as we will see in a second, the Democratic Party has been significantly promoting anti-Semitism openly. And so have the media for a while here. I mean, amongst my Jewish friends, amongst people pouring out on social media, I think people just felt really sick to their stomach about this attack um, and just sick to their stomach about the way that the president continues to be unable to respond in the kind of way the leader of the country should be able to respond. The conspiracy theories cited by these neo-Nazis in Pittsburgh and New Zealand and now outside San Diego are all really, they all say the same thing, which is that this crazy story about how somehow Jews are letting in immigrants into this country, which is you know, similar to what Republicans ran on in 2018, saying that George Soros was supporting and funding the migrant caravan, a conspiracy theory that Trump never condemned and actually uh, seemed to support um, when asked about it. 
Okay, that, again, this is just, it, it's just amazing. So you have Democrats in the media blaming President Trump for a shooting that doesn't have to do with President Trump. At the exact same time, at the exact same time, the members of the media who are condemning this sort of stuff, where are their words for the anti-Semitism of the Democratic Party? Here's the thing. If you're going to call out anti-Semitism, it is actually incumbent on you to call it out whenever you see it. It is incumbent on you to call it out on all sides, just as you would call out racism on all sides. If for you, anti-Semitism is merely a way to club Ilhan Omar, but you don't really care about it when it comes from white supremacists, or if alternatively, anti-Semitism is a way to condemn white supremacists, but you don't care about it when it comes from Ilhan Omar, or it's a way to condemn Trump, but you don't care about it when it comes from the radical left, then I don't trust you on anti-Semitism and neither should anyone else. I'm not going to trust the New York Times' take on President Trump and anti-Semitism when they are printing cartoons like this. So Thursday, right, a day and a half or Friday, the day before, it was, it was Friday, I believe, the day before the shooting happened at Poway, the New York Times International Edition printed this cartoon of President Trump and Benjamin Netanyahu. For those who can't see, the cartoon is viciously der Sturmer anti-Semitic. I mean, it is straight from the pages of Nazi newspapers. Straight from those pages. It is a picture of Benjamin Netanyahu, his face pasted onto that of a wiener dog, with a Jewish star hanging from his collar, and President Trump being led around like a blind man by Bibi as a dog. President Trump, wear, fat, wearing a kippah, and wearing black glasses because he's being led on a leash by Bibi Netanyahu, the Jewish dog with the Jewish star hanging from his collar. This was printed in the New York Times International Edition. Now, a lot of people have been saying, well, people on the right, they're very upset about the cartoon. Why aren't they upset about the shooting? I am upset about both. Here is something to note. These shootings, these shootings have been occurring on a sporadic basis against Jews my entire lifetime. I can name a dozen of them off the top of my head, including some in my own community. There was one at the West Valley JCC, Back when I was a kid, 1999, I believe it was. Okay, there, was there, there have been attempted killings of Jews in my city. More, more relevant recently, obviously. It is a different thing for mainstream American publications to print full-on Nazi cartoons. The mainstreaming of anti-Semitism on the left is not the same as the mainstreaming of the anti-Semitism on the right. So what the left is trying to say is that President Trump has mainstreamed anti-Semitism because he winked and nodded at the alt-right from 2015 through 2017. Okay, he did not mainstream anti-Semitism among Republicans, which is why 78% of Republicans say they are sympathetic to the state of Israel. It's why Republicans, by and large, are far more philo-Semitic than the far left is. It's why Republicans have been condemning Ilhan Omar. The New York Times is, a, is the linchpin of Democratic media, of left-leaning media in the United States. It is the mainstream newspaper in the United States. And in their international edition, they are printing cartoons that are straight from the pages of Der Sturmer. They are printing cartoons that are straight from the pages of the Nazi-esque Palestinian newspapers. I mean, these are Nazi cartoons, and they are printing those. So am I upset about that? Yeah, because it, it speaks to the mainstreaming of anti-Semitism inside the left. Now, in a second, I will show you how the New York Times, they apologized but I'll show you in a second how the New York Times should have known better. And then the New York Times printed another anti-Semitic cartoon today. Another one. It's amazing. <laughs> like the, the, You know why? Because the anti-Zionism and, and extreme leftism of the people on the left have allowed them to mainstream anti-Semitism in a pretty vicious way. We'll get to that in just a second. First, let's talk about making your neighborhood safer. Ring's mission is to make neighborhoods safer. You might already know about their smart video doorbells and cameras that protect millions of people everywhere. Ring helps you stay connected to your home anywhere in the world. So if there's a package delivery or a surprise visitor, you'll get an alert. You'll be able to see, hear, and speak to them all from your phone. That's thanks to their HD video and two-way audio features on Ring devices. I have ring.com at my house. I have a Ring device at my house. 
And I've been working on banging, uh, building a Ring of Security kit. As a listener, you have a special offer on a Ring starter kit available right now. With a video doorbell and motion-activated floodlight cam, the starter kit has everything you need to start building that Ring of Security around your home, too. As you can tell, I take security extraordinarily seriously. You should, too. Just go to ring.com slash Ben. That is ring.com slash Ben for special savings. Ring.com slash Ben. Make your home safe. You can see, unfortunately, a lot of time you think your house is safe. It may not be safe. And it is perfectly true that a lot of criminals will ring your doorbell, see if you are home before they decide to rob your home. Ring.com allows you to prevent all of that. Go check them out right now at ring.com slash Ben. That is ring.com slash Ben. Okay, in just a second, we'll get to the New York Times and its anti-Semitism, the mainstreaming of anti-Semitism. What are the three types of anti-Semitism and how are they being mainstreamed in the various areas of philosophy and, and ideology around the world? We'll get to that in a second. First, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com and subscribe. When you do, you get the rest of this show live. You also will get two hours of this show this afternoon. I'm back on my full schedule. It means two hours of me this afternoon. We'll have special guests. We'll have insights. It'll be great. And you'll be able to ask us questions during the breaks. So if you want to correspond with me, that's the way to do it. You got to be a subscriber to do all of that. We have all sorts of Sunday specials that are coming up that will be available on Saturday for you. You will be able to correspond with other hosts at The Daily Wire. You'll be able to take advantage of our backstage. We have all sorts of brand new awesome stuff coming for subscribers. Go check it out right now. And for $99 a year, you get this. The very greatest in beverage vessels. The Leftist Tears Hot or Cold Tumbler. Go check it out right now. That Leftist Tears Hot or Cold Tumbler will make your life significantly better. Also, subscribe at YouTube. Subscribe at iTunes. Last month, we were the second most listened to podcast on planet Earth. So make sure that we are number one this month. Go help us out over at YouTube and iTunes. Leave us a review. It always helps. We are the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast in the nation. Okay, so what you're seeing from the media, as I say, is an attempt to blame President Trump for all of this. Now, let me backtrack for a second. There are three types of anti-Semitism that are deeply worrisome in today's day and age. Type of anti-Semitism number one, white supremacist anti-Semitism. This is what you are seeing in, at the shul in Poway. It is also manifest in a more generalized white supremacist ideology that ends with shootings at mosques, for example, in Christchurch. The same person who committed the shooting in Poway apparently tried to burn down a mosque in the last several weeks uh, in, in California as well. So white supremacist ideology, totally evil. Now, has that been mainstreamed inside the right? The left would like to suggest that it has. I see no serious evidence that it has. Every mainstream Republican not only condemns this stuff, but outright hates it. When people speak about this stuff in a positive way, they lose their committee assignments. This would be Steve King. Steve King has lost every committee assignment. His primary opponent, Kevin Feenstra, whom you should give to, has been raising much, much more money than Steve King. Republicans are not mainstreaming this stuff. Now, then there's left-wing anti-Semitism. Left-wing anti-Semitism is papered over with a thin veneer of anti-Zionism. Basically, left-wing anti-Semitism says that because there are winners and losers in society, and winners have inherently exploited the losers, Jews are too successful, and therefore Jews can be held responsible for inequality in society. This crosses paths with Islamic anti-Semitism, which also suggests that Jews are too successful and Jews are, are manipulating world events. Then the words of Ilhan Omar, Israel has hypnotized the world, or it's Jewish money behind American support for Israel. That conspiratorial mindset meets paths with the intersectional left. Now, which is being more mainstreamed? White supremacy by the mainstream right or Ilhan Omar type anti-Semitism by the mainstream left? Radical Islamic anti-Semitism is a serious threat to Jews in Israel, as I mentioned. One of the people who was shot at Poway is from Sterot. So he spends every day having rockets fired at him from the Gaza Strip by Jew haters in the Gaza Strip. And then he comes to the United States and he gets shot at by a white supremacist. 
all types of anti-Semitism are dangerous. Not all types are equally dangerous in, in every place. And not all types are equally well accepted by mainstream outlets. So white supremacy is not a mainstream philosophy in the United States. It is not a what it just isn't. Statistically speaking, it is extremely dangerous. They're the people I am most worried about being shot by. <laughs> they, they're very, very dangerous. They're a small subgroup of people who are awful and who do violent, terrible things. But as far as being mainstreamed as an ideology, there is no question that left-wing anti-Semitism, which starts off as, oh yeah, we're just criticizing Israel and quickly morphs into, no, Israel's an exploiter. Israel is an apartheid state. The only reason people support Israel is because of the nefarious power of the Jews. We don't have to comment on anti-Semitism against Jews because they are not intersectionally put upon. That left-wing anti-Semitism has become extraordinarily prominent, which is why you have the New York Times printing stuff from Nazi newspapers in the international edition. And it's not like they didn't know who this cartoonist was. His old cartoons are just as anti-Semitic. Here's an old cartoon showing a, it's a takeoff of the Warsaw Ghetto. It's, it's, it's Holocaust Memorial Week this week, I believe. This is a picture from the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, a very famous picture, uh, not even from the uprising, of, of Jews being herded onto trains, being held up by Nazis, except that this anti-Semitic artist has put kafiyas on all of the Jews and made all of the Nazis into Israeli soldiers with a Jewish star helmet. Right, so this guy's an anti-Semite, and the international edition just printed it. The New York Times apologizes for all of this. They said, we are deeply sorry for the publication of an anti-Semitic political cartoon last Thursday in the print edition of the New York Times that circulates outside of the United States. We are committed to making sure nothing like this happens again. Such imagery is always dangerous. And at a time when anti-Semitism is on the rise worldwide, it's all the more unacceptable. We've investigated how this happened and learned that because of a faulty process, a single editor working without adequate oversight downloaded the syndicated cartoon and made the decision to include it on the opinion page. So it's one guy. We're looking into it. We'll stop it. We're sorry. No, this is, in, this is deeper and more indicative of how the New York Times operates. It's an anti-Semitic newspaper. It's a newspaper that it's new, in, in its news coverage has openly admitted it did not cover hate crimes against Jews in New York City because it was not intersectional enough. And Brett Stevens writes a piece in the New York Times. This is the New York Times' attempt to, to backtrack and, and paper over its, in its own anti-Semitism. They let Brett Stevens write there. They say, the cartoon appeared in the print version of the international edition. The cartoon itself was selected and seen by just one mid-level editor right before the paper went to press, supposedly. They say, the paper's position is that it is guilty of a serious screw-up but not a cardinal sin. Not quite, Brett Stevens says. The problem with the cartoon isn't that its publication was a willful act of anti-Semitism. It wasn't. The problem is that its publication was an astonishing act of ignorance of anti-Semitism and that at a publication that is otherwise hyper-alert to nearly every conceivable expression of prejudice from mansplaining to racial microaggressions to transphobia. Imagine if the dog on the leash hadn't been the Israeli prime minister, but a person of color such as John Lewis or a Muslim like Ilhan Omar. Would that have gone unnoticed by the wire service? And this raises a question, says Brett Stevens. How have even the most blatant expressions of anti-Semitism become almost undetectable to editors who think it's part of their job to stand up to bigotry? The reason is the almost torrential criticism of Israel and the mainstreaming of anti-Zionism, including by this paper, which has become so common that people have been desensitized to its inherent bigotry. So long as anti-Semitic arguments or images are framed, however speciously, as commentary about Israel, there will be a tendency to view them as a form of political opinion, not ethnic prejudice. But anti-Zionism is all but indistinguishable but from anti-Semitism in practice, and often in intent, however much progressives try to deny this. That is obviously true, which is why the New York Times can apologize for that. And then within the next two days, print this cartoon. This cartoon is a cartoon of Benjamin Netanyahu descending from a mountain. 
a la Moses, holding a selfie stick and holding behind him a tablet with the flag of the state of Israel. What the hell is that supposed to be? Well, it turns out that the original cartoon was sanitized from the New York Times. The original cartoon is supposed to be Bibi walking down the mountain, holding the tablets, followed by Donald Trump holding the other tablet. So in other words, it's the same thing. Bibi, the nefarious Jews leading Donald Trump by the nose. So in other words, the same people on the left who think it's fine to print that sort of crap and say that Bibi is leading Trump by the nose. A Jew is leading Trump by the nose. will say that that Trump is anti-Semitic and responsible for this. That's their hot take. That's their hot take. And then we're supposed to take them seriously, very seriously. We'll get to the the political left's reaction to this, particularly Ilhan Omar, because it's very telling. Hey, so Bernie Sanders, you, you just saw Walid Shaheed blame President Trump for what happened in Poway. Here is Bernie Sanders' tweet about the synagogue shooting. He says, another horrific shooting at a place of worship today at the Poway Synagogue in San Diego County. We must work every day to eradicate all forms of hatred and bigotry and take serious action to protect Americans from gun violence. Now, quick note. The original critique of President Trump's take on Charlottesville is that he did not condemn white supremacy by name. Where is the condemnation of anti-Semitism by name? Where? This reminds me very much of after the Christian, the attacks on Christians in Sri Lanka, when Democrats simply refused to say that it was an Islamic, a radical Islamic attack on Christians, which it was. Democrats simply chalked it up to generalized hate. And Democrats have been doing this with anti-Semitism and anti-Christian sentiment for quite a while now. Every time there is something bad that happens to a Jew, the first reaction is, well, let's condemn all forms of hate. This is how they shied away from condemning Ilhan Omar, who's an open anti-Semite. Instead, they just said, we hate all forms. of All forms of hate are bad. White supremacy, particularly bad. How about this? White supremacy is evil. People who propagate white supremacy are evil. Left-wing anti-Semitism is evil. People who propagate it are evil. Islamic anti-Semitism is evil. People who propagate it are evil. Why is it hard to say any of these things? And you see this even from Peter Beinart, who's, who's honestly as close to a Hamas spokesperson as anybody on the left. I mean, every time Israel gets in a war with Hamas, it's always Israel's fault. Beinart's just awful in every way. So he tweets this out. He tweets, if you foment hatred against Muslims, don't offer your sympathy when hatred kills Jews. Okay, so let's, let's parse that for just a second. If you foment hatred against Muslims, don't offer your sympathy when hatred kills Jews. Muslims and Jews are two separate groups. And just because the same people sometimes are interested in killing both Muslims and Jews, that does not make the groups exactly the same. Now, you shouldn't foment hatred against Muslims. But the, the, inma- the, the innate swing from Peter Beinart, away from anti-Semitism and toward we must protect Ilhan Omar is amazing because that's what's happening there, right? What Peter Beinart is doing there, his tweet is obviously a way to protect Ilhan Omar. So if you say Ilhan Omar is an anti-Semite, Peter Beinart says, aha, you're attacking Ilhan Omar. That means you don't care about dead Jews. How sick is that logic? How sick is that logic? And if you condemn what happened in Christchurch, then presumably that's not enough. If you say that radical Islam is evil and that normal Islam might be fine, or that you know many Muslims who are good, or that Islam isn't inherently tied to violence, but there are too many Muslims who are violent, Peter Beinart will condemn you for the killing of Jews in Poway. He says, anti-Semitism and Islamophobia are two symptoms of the same white nationalist disease. You either fight them both or you are complicit in them both. Well, how about you fight white supremacy overall, but also you're allowed to criticize, I mean, this, it's so funny, the same people who will say that if you talk about anti-Semitism, you're trying to silence talk about Israel, The same people will say, well, if you criticize radical Islam at all, really you're in favor of white supremacy. What a joke Peter Beinart is, just intellectually corrupt beyond all measure. So Ilhan Omar then sounds off herself. She says, my heart is breaking 
after today's deadly shooting at Chabad congregation in San Diego, on the last day of Passover and six months to the day after the Tree of Life shooting, we as a nation must confront the terrifying rise of religious hate and violence. Love trumps hate. So that, that last line there, obviously, a reference to President Trump and a suggestion that because that was a, a slogan that was being used against Trump in 2016. Now, listen, do I think that Ilhan Omar is happy when Jews get shot at a Chabad? No, I don't. But Ilhan Omar certainly does not take anti-Semitism seriously. She clearly does not. I mean, she is an anti-Semite. She does not take anti-Semitism seriously. And then hilariously enough, Ted Cruz tweets out the anti-Semitic left. He's condemning the New York Times cartoon. He says the anti-Semitic left, whether Ilhan Omar's repeated anti-Israel slurs or the New York Times apologizing for Hamas terrorists and running racist cartoons is getting worse. And the House can't even pass an anti-Semitism resolution. Responsible Dems need to say enough is enough. Ilhan Omar tweets back to that. A white nationalist literally terrorized a synagogue during Passover yesterday and you have yet to say anything. Shame on you. Yes, I'm sure that Ilhan Omar is the leading tip of the spear in fighting anti-Semitism and white nationalism when it targets Jews. I'll fight white nationalists over any of this crap. I don't think that Ilhan Omar is leading the, leading the fight uh, against anti-Semitism in the United States. And that suggestion is a joke. It's a joke. It, I'll just point out here one final thing about Ilhan Omar. So over the weekend, she accused President Trump of incitement again. Incitement again. Why? Because President Trump pointed out that Ralph Northam had said in an open interview that there are situations in which a baby is born and then doctors and the mother can decide whether it should die or not. And Ilhan Omar said, this is truly dangerous and sickening. Is this deranged president suggesting parents and doctors are working together to commit infanticide? We have seen religious fanatics bombing clinics and threatening women. This will fan the flames of violence. Stop the misinformation. So in other words, according to Ilhan Omar, it's incitement if you criticize her. It's incitement if President Trump points out what Ralph Northam, the governor of Virginia, said. But Ilhan Omar is never guilty of incitement, no matter how much anti-Semitic bile she spews. As I said before, if you are blind to anti-Semitism from one particular side of the aisle because it favors your political position, you are not in the fight against anti-Semitism. You're part of the problem. If anti-Semitism is just another political club to be wielded, if Ilhan Omar is given the credibility to speak out against anti-Semitism while routinely engaging in anti-Semitism. She has a lot of the same opinions about Jews that the white supremacist had in that manifesto. In that manifesto, the, basic, the, the, white, the, the shooter basically says, effectively says about Jews that they control the world media, that they control the way money runs, that they control opinion about Israel. Am I going to take her for, am, am I going to take her at her word that she hates anti-Semitism? Again, I'm not going to equate her with the shooter because I don't think they're the same. I think that people who commit violence are not the same as people who say evil things. But am I going to take her condemnation of anti-Semitism seriously? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not going to take the condemnation from the New York Times seriously. And I'm not going to take it seriously from a press that covers for the New York Times. Either call it all out or I'm not going to believe you. It, it really is that simple. Okay, in just a second, we'll get to some things that I like and then we'll get to some things that I hate. So... Things that I like today. So there is a great essay by Theodore Herzl, the founder of Zionism. Zionism is a good thing, guys. It is a good thing that there is a Jewish state. It is a good thing that the Jews have a place that they can go for protection, considering that in the wide history of humanity, Jews have not been left alone very often. There's a great piece published in 1897 about Jewish identity by Theodore Herzl, who is not a religious Jew, talking about the need for people to respond to anti-Semitism by re-engaging with their roots. I totally, you know, I think that's a beautiful idea. It's worth reading the essay. He talks about how 
a secular Jew becomes more religious in response to people targeting him. He talks about the holiday of Hanukkah and the radiance shining forth from the menorah. He says, first one candle, it is still dark, and then the solitary light looks gloomy. And it finds a companion, then another, and yet another. The darkness must retreat. The young and the poor are the first to see the light. Then the others join in. All who love justice, truth, liberty, progress, humanity, and beauty. When all the candles are ablaze, everyone must stop in amazement and rejoice at what has been wrought. And no office is more blessed than that of a servant of light. So you can read the writings of, of Theodore Herzl. They're, they're well worth reading. For all the folks on the left who condemn Zionism and suggest that the state of Israel shouldn't exist and that Hamas is in the right and then condemn anti-Semitism when it results in a white supremacist shooting someone in Poway, I'm going to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt, guys. Just a little bit of a grain of salt. Okay, time for some things that I hate. All righty, so things that I hate today. So AOC spent her weekend, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez spent her weekend, along with the other justice Democrats, speaking out about the hot issues of our time. One of them, AOC says she doesn't care if you are an undocumented person in the United States. I'm glad she doesn't care. It seems like we should probably care since we don't know who these folks are and they're not paying taxes and some of them are drawing on social services. That does not suggest that the vast majority of illegal immigrants are bad people. I don't think that. I know illegal immigrants. I don't think that they are bad people. I think the vast majority of them are coming here to work and make a living. But I do care about their legal status. If you are a citizen of the United States, you should care about the legal status of people who are here. AOC says, no, 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 I don't care about any of that. First of all, I believe in human rights. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care if you're documented. I don't care if you're undocumented. I don't care if you're out here. I don't care if you're in Rikers. I believe in your fundamental human rights. Fundamental human rights. Okay, and then she proceeds to define that as voting, for example. Well, there's a great piece at the New York Times. By great, I mean absolute garbage from a guy named David Bentley Hart, a scholar of religion and a cultural critic, according to the New York Times. He has a piece called, Can We Please Relax About Socialism? And then he talks about how socialism is really not bad. He says, To be trapped in the boarding area of a smallish airport in the upper Midwest is, as often as not, to be subjected to that bestial din of fricatives, gutturals, plosives, and shrieks of hysterical alarm that constitutes political discussion on Fox News, pouring incessantly from those obnoxious, pendulous, ceiling televisions. So this guy is a terrible writer, by the way. And then he says, That fate I avoided a few weeks back. Instead, there I was with the commentator Ben Stein hovering over me like some grim heathen god, exuding all the effervescent charm of a despondent tree sloth, glumly wobbling his jowls and opining that Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez espouses a political philosophy that in the past led to the rise of Hitler and Stalin. It's true about Stalin. And then he says, I realize this has become axiomatic on America's excitable right. I know that in this country we employ terms like socialism with wanton indifference to historical Details, and I am painfully aware, here's the part where it gets good. I am painfully aware that the male Fox commentariat nurtures its sickly obsession with Miss Ocasio-Cortez, partly because they resent her cleverness, charisma, and moral vitality, but mostly because they suspect that in high school, she was one of those girls they had no hope of getting a date with. Though really, she comes across as someone who could look past a face of even the purest sweat, suet, if she thought she glimpsed a healthy soul behind it. I mean, what in the world the New York Times not only is an anti-Semitic newspaper, it's a garbage newspaper. I mean, my goodness, to print, who would print this, this trick, this treacle? I mean, it's just, so the re, it's not because she's deeply ignorant. It's not because she says stupid stuff. It's not because she's on the cover of magazines or is praised by journalists across the left wing of the spectrum. It's not because she's extraordinarily famous and has a lot of power. It's because people think that they, she wouldn't have dated them in high school. 
And also, I mean, I can't think of anybody who wants a date with Ocasio-Cortez more than David Bentley Hart, according to this paragraph. She comes across as someone who could look past a face of even the purest suet if she thought she glimpsed a healthy soul behind it. So she's like Mother Teresa. I mean, amazing. Amazing. Yes, I'm sure that's it. Our media. Yeah, I'm definitely going to take them seriously from now on. Okay, final thing that I hate. So this is a thing that I hate slash like, okay, here comes some Game of Thrones spoilers, guys. So we're going to do Game of Thrones for like two minutes here. So last episode of Game of Thrones, it was emotionally enjoyable. They have, they have, I don't know why they shot it in a, through a potato. So the, so the entire episode is too dark. It is blotchy. It is hard to look at. I was watching it on HBO Go and I was streaming it. So it was kind of best quality. My TV is pretty good. It's still very difficult to see what is going on. The battle plan makes no sense. Also, the thrill of Game of Thrones in the first few seasons was the fact that anyone could die at any time, which made it much more realistic than other fantasy sagas where you knew that your favorite characters were going to live. Here, they sort of eliminated a couple of of characters who you knew were going to go at one point or another, but they couldn't even eliminate many of the fringe characters who probably have no major role going forward except to give somebody else you know, a, 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 a sort of happy ending in the story. Meaning, like, it was pretty obvious, not to get into details, and I'm just, whatever. If you haven't watched it, tough. Brienne was probably going to die here, right? Like, you thought Brienne was going to die. They knighted her. She was Sir Brienne. She finally had reached her life's conclusion, and now she's going to lead the left flank in this climactic battle against the Night King. And so they figured she would die, and probably Tormund would die also. Neither of them dies. And neither of them dies, even though they are surrounded by ice zombies. I mean, surrounded by them. Grey Worm, you thought for sure he's gone. Nope, he's still alive. The only people of any consequence who die here at all are, let me try to remember, are Jorah, Bizet, and Theon. Those are the only people of any serious kind. Dolores Ed dies also, but, you know, who cares? It, Theon dies, and he was destined to go a long time ago. So, like, it was two people who you knew were going to go. Their stories had finished. They were toast. Everyone else lived. Everyone. So every single person dies because of the ice zombies, except for the characters you like. Guys, like, there better be some surprises in store, or this is going to be the most anticlimactic final season ever. Now, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed Arya teleporting to kill the Night King. I, I mean, that, that was fun. And, and I don't agree with all the people who are, like, there are people who are idiotically saying that Arya is a Mary Sue. No, the definition of a Mary Sue is Rey from Star Wars. If you, are, if you are a character who randomly has powers without any training, you're a Mary Sue. If you are a person who trains for six seasons to do the sort of thing you just did, then you are not a Mary Sue. So Arya killing the Night King, fine with, I don't know what Bran's doing all episode. So Bran's just like being a bird or something. You're sitting around being a bird? What? Why? What, what was he doing? No one knows. They're flying around in the clouds on the dragons. Can't tell what's happening at all. No one can tell what's happening. So there, there's some serious holes. Also, battle strategy. I'm going to take this entire massive force that we brought across from the, uh, across the, the wide sea, and we, we will bring them uh, across the narrow sea. We'll bring the entire Dothraki horde. And then we will eliminate all of them in the first five seconds in an ill-fated Pickett's charge against a superior force in darkness. Makes perfect sense. Also, we will not deploy the dragons at that time to kill all of the members of the Night King's army. We'll just wait until the entire Dothraki horde gets extinguished, and then we'll do it. Also, we will station the trebuchets in front of the, of the ravine, and we'll station all the troops in front of the ravine. So we won't actually use the physical barrier that we have created to protect our soldiers, stop the forces of the Night King from approaching so that we can, you know, kill them on the other side of that barrier. We will instead stand in front of the barrier so that they can kill us and then we will retreat haphazardly back into Winterfell. 
Also, in the crypts, how does no one die in the crypts? How is that a thing? Okay, so there's my take. <laughs> Hopefully, next week, we'll finally get to Cersei. Again, I think that my, my biggest problem with Cersei as a character is I don't think that she is clever. So I think that the buildup of Cersei and Euron Greyjoy, who basically is pirate who works at Zara, uh, not my characterization against Stephen Miller, not the Trump Stephen Miller, like Stephen Miller read Steve's online character. That's pretty much right. How is that alliance as interesting as the alliance against them? I guess that the entire force has been decimated, but Danny still is a dragon. In any case, we'll see where it goes from here. I was always more interested in the politics than the Night King. They had to get rid of the Night King. But with that said, there were some moments in the show that I really liked, but why it had to be filmed so that no one could see what was going on, the pretentious creative choice. I had heard that they said, well, you know, it's, it's not realistic if you use lighting. There are dragons, guys. Pretty sure that realism is not top of the line concern. I, I would like to see some things. Like, how, that's okay. How about, like, if you're going to spend whatever it was, some tens of millions of dollars on an episode, how about we see the result on, like, that would be good. Okay. All right. Well, we will be back here a little bit later today. Two more hours of the Ben Shapiro Show, or we'll show up here tomorrow, review all the news, get into it. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is the Ben Shapiro Show. This is the Ben Shapiro Show. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Caromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. Game of Thrones, The Avengers, Endgame. A lot of big stories are going around. And one of those stories is that Donald Trump is a racist. Oh, wait, is that a story or is it a lie? We'll take a look on The Andrew Clavin Show. I'm Andrew Clavin. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. <laughs> 